If you have your Bibles, turn in them to 2 Timothy chapter 4. If you don't have your Bible, the scripture we'll be looking at is on the inside back cover of your bulletin. There's a place to take notes there as well. We're going to be uh, looking today at verses 6 through 8, but to catch the context, we're going to start our reading uh, in chapter 4, verse 1. This is this series that we've been going through, Proclaim. And so this is 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 through 8. Friends, listen. This is God's Word. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead, and by His appearing and His kingdom, preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. For the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching, but having itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. This is God's Word. So we are finishing this series called Proclaim. What we're doing in these eight verses is that we're watching Paul encourage Timothy to return to the practice of preaching the good news of Jesus. These eight verses teach us how to share and why it's important, why it's so important that in our lives we are sharing the good news of Jesus. And in these verses we see that Paul knows he's ready to die. Or he knows he's about to die and he's ready. Are you? Are you ready to die? Could you write these things in this way? I know that my departure, the time my departure has come. Paul knows he's about to die and so he begins to reflect on where he is. He begins to look back on his life And he says, I'm ready to go. I'm about to die. And so, Timothy, I want to let you know what I think about my upcoming death. Okay? So these are Paul's reflections at the end of his life. Paul says, I'm about to die. I've done, and I've done what I'm asking you to do, Timothy. That's what he's saying. Look, I'm calling you to be faithful, to share the gospel, to return to this part of your calling. And I'm here where I want you to be. It's like he's saying, look, Timothy, between you and me, there is a life of faithfulness. Paul says, preach the word. He says, do the work of an evangelist. This summarizes Timothy's calling in life. Okay, now, Timothy was a pastor. Most of you are not pastors, but we have the responsibility of sharing our faith. We all have this responsibility to tell other people why Jesus is good news. And Paul is telling us, this is what your life can look like if you do this. 
And we're going to see what Paul says. And we're going to wrestle with why sometimes we don't want to follow this. Okay? It's our first point. First thing Paul says is, he says, my death is a celebration. Okay, he says, my death is a celebration. He says, the time of my departure has come in verse 6. Paul knows he's going to die. He is stuck in a dark, cold, wet prison cell. Okay, we've seen this before. I'm going to show it to you again. There were two levels. It was called the Mamertine prison in Rome. Um, this is the penthouse. Right? This is the upper floor of this prison cell. Um, and in the floor of this, there was a hole in the ground. The grating wasn't there when Paul was in this. It was just a hole into the darkness. Um, and through this hole, they would lower food to keep the prisoner alive. Um, and you'd descend into this pit. The altar was added later by Christians, but it was a pit and it was an awful prison. The pillar there that's there, that, that stone pillar, that was a, they used to chain prisoners to it so they couldn't get very far and they couldn't move around. Um, this is where Paul was when he wrote this. Okay, when he wrote this letter, this is where he was. He knew his death was imminent. The cell, remember, was connected to the city's sewer system. And the Romans would sometimes clear out the cell by opening up the sewage into this room and drowning the prisoners in the toilet water of Rome. Okay, this is where Paul was. But we know that's not what happened to Paul, actually. Um, no, Paul fared much better. Instead, history tells us Paul was taken from this prison cell and his head was chopped off. And he was executed for his faith in Jesus. And so Paul knew that death was coming and he wants Timothy to know exactly how he's thinking about his death because, well, that's what disciplers do. Okay, people who disciple others, people who help other people in their walk with Jesus, what they do is they share what's going on in their life and then they talk about how the gospel helps them through it. I mean, in a sense, that's what this letter is. It's Paul reminding Timothy of where he is in life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. And he's reminding Timothy of how the gospel changes everything for him. Paul shares his thoughts about dying because he wants to make sure that Timothy spends the rest of his days really living. Really living. And so Paul says, my death is a celebration. Well, where does he say that? Well, this, this phrase, drink offering. Or if you circle that, it's, a, it's an important word that needs to be, or it's an important phrase that needs to be explained. The drink offering was actually part of the Old Testament sacrificial system. Okay, usually when we think of the sacrifices in the Old Testament, we think about animals. Right? We think about animals that were sacrificed to God, um, and there were lots of those, but there were also other things that were offered to God. There was, there was bread, there, was, there were biscuits that were offered to God, there were um, like pancakes kind of things that were offered to God, and there was also drinks. Uh, let me just show you one place. Um, Numbers 15.5 says, And you shall offer with the burnt offering, yeah, that was an animal sacrifice, but with the burnt offering, um, or for the sacrifice, a quarter of a hen of wine for the drink offering for each lamb. Okay? And there's a lot more that you can read if you read this whole chapter. Um, the point, though, is that every time you made a burnt offering, you would also add to that burnt offering a drink offering. Okay? And the drink offering was a quarter of a hen of wine. So every time you offered an animal as a burnt offering, you would also offer a quarter of a hen of wine as a drink offering. Well, it's a quarter of a hen of wine. Well, it's roughly two bottles. 
Okay? It's, about a, it's, it's one and a third liters. So it's about two bottles of wine. And this drink offering was added to the animal sacrifice. Now, drink offerings are associated with joy. Okay? In the Bible, drink offerings are associated with joy. And so it's like you're going to a barbecue. Right? You're going to worship God. Because that's what the tabernacle was. That's what the temple was. It was a big barbecue. Okay? Over and over and over again, all day long, the priests were grilling meat. They were grilling meat. And the Bible says that the aroma went up and it was a soothing aroma in the nose of God. So it was a massive barbecue where meat is being grilled. And what God is saying with the drink offering, He's saying, don't forget the wine. Okay, that's what a drink offering is. God is saying, don't forget the wine. So animal sacrifices, I don't know what you think about when you think about animal sacrifices, but in the Old Testament, animal sacrifices, they weren't things of obligation. They were times of celebration. They were times of celebration. And so with each burnt offering, you added two bottles of wine to celebrate. Because guess what? God loves a good drink. This is what the Bible is communicating to us. Okay, and I know, I know that in our day and age, and not just our age, but in the history of humanity, there are people, and there are, there are people who struggle with abusing wine, there are people who abuse um, other things. The Bible talks about strong drink, but just because it's abused doesn't mean it's not a gift from God, right? And the Bible presents wine as a gift and uh, an occasion to celebrate. Now, the burnt offering. Okay, so the drink offering went with the burnt offering. The burnt offering was an offering of consecration. Okay, and that burnt offering basically communicated to God that the offerer was devoting himself or herself totally to God. Okay, that's what the burnt offering was. It was offered to God, and so really they were just saying this. The burnt offering says, God, I am living my life for you. I want to worship you, honor you, and follow you in all of my life. And then the drink offering said, and I'm happy about it. Pour the wine. Okay? That's what the drink offering was. Okay? And you can read Numbers 15. You read Numbers 28 and 29. It's in Exodus 29. I mean, just do a search for drink offering. You read all the places. But the idea was that God wanted celebration with the offerings. And so to, to make a drink offering, you're saying, look, God, I am overjoyed by making this offering to you. Let's drink. And so, back to what Paul is saying here, because Paul uses this phrase, drink offering, in verse 6. What Paul is saying is, my life has been a burnt offering. Okay? He's saying, my life has been an offering of worship to God. I have consecrated my life and sacrificed to God with my life. Now, my death is going to continue that worship. Okay, what he's saying here is, my life is the burnt offering of consecration to God, but my death is the drink offering. Okay? He's saying, I have served God for my life. I have been offering myself to God, and my death is just going to be gravy on the mashed potatoes. It's going to be the wine that goes with the meat. He's saying, my death is the drink offering. It's a final toast to the banquet offering that my life has been. God, I've devoted myself to you, and even in death, I am happy about it. Let's drink. And so Paul is going out, and he's going out with joy. He's not going out with regret. He is going out with joy. 
He is celebrating the prospect of his death. Friends, do you have a way that you think about God? When you think about God, when you think about life, are you at a place where you could honestly celebrate your death? Could you look at being imprisoned for what you believe and then still look to your death and celebrate? That's where Paul is right now. And he says, Timothy, my death is just a drink offering. My death is a bottle of wine poured out for the glory of God. Now how can Paul say this? We can say this because of the second thing that he says. He says his his death is a celebration because he's a victor. He says, I am a victor. This is verses 7 through 8. He says, I've fought the good fight. I've finished the race. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. Paul says, I can celebrate my death because, you know what? In my life, I left it all on the field. I gave it my all. He says, I served the Lord. I fought the good fight. I finished the race. And you need to understand, you need to understand, thinking about Paul, this was not the case for Paul's entire life. When Paul says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, this doesn't mean that he was perfect. This doesn't mean that he was even following Jesus for his whole life. In fact, Some of you know this. Paul was actually killing Christians and persecuting Jesus himself before his life turned around. And so Paul is saying, I fought the good fight. I finished the race. Even though the race for him lasted, this race lasted what? Maybe 20 years? 25? So the good news here is that listening to Paul who's finished the race and fought the good fight, that fight didn't start for Paul until he was well into his 30s. So there's hope for us. Whether you're in your 30s, whether you're in your teens, whether you're in your 60s or 70s, the race, if you're not running this race now, if you're not fighting the good faith now, or if you're not fighting the good fight now, you can start. You can start. We're going to see that more. But the point here is that when Paul says, I fought the good fight, I finished the race, we're not talking about someone who was perfect. Far from it. Far from it. But this is the fight. What's the fight? What's the race? This is the fight and the race to honor Jesus and to follow Him in your life. Right? And it's a good fight. Because it is a fight. It's a struggle. Right? It's a struggle to follow Jesus. Right? If we're going to be honest every day, every week, every month, it's, it's, it's a constant battle. And some of us struggle with different kinds of things. Right? All of us struggle and it's a battle. And Paul says it's a good fight. It's a good fight. It's, 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 like, he's, it's like that feeling you get after a hard but satisfying workout. Right When it's done, you're like, oh, that was good. I never want to do it again. <laughs> I never want to see a dumbbell again as long as I live. I don't want to run again. But, oh man, I'm so glad. I'm so glad that it's finished. Right? When we're in this fight, and the question for us is, are we in this fight? Right? Are we fighting for God? Are we fighting to follow Jesus? Or do we just do what's easy?
Paul says, I'm through it. I'm done. I made it. And why? How, do we, how does Paul know? Well, the way that Paul knows that he has fought the good fight, the way he knows he's, he's finished the race, is because of the third thing he says in verse 7. He says, I've kept the faith. I've kept the faith. This is the Christian faith. This is the scoreboard that lets Paul know whether he has actually fought the good fight or not, whether he's actually finished the race or not. Paul says, I have finished the race because I have continued to hold on to Jesus. So again, this is not that I was perfect. This is not that I was righteous by myself. But this is Paul saying, the reason why I finished, the reason I could fight hard was because I kept the faith. It was because I never let go of the Gospel. The Gospel is as precious to me now at the end of my life as it was in the middle of my life when Jesus got a hold of my life. So Paul is saying, this is the scoreboard. I've finished and I've honored Jesus throughout my time. I've stayed faithful to Jesus to the end. And it's great what Paul says here in verse 8. He says, all that remains is the award ceremony. It's like the Olympics, right? After the running, after the boating, after the bicycling, after the, after the race, when everything is over, the big deal is the awards ceremony and the medals. Right? Paul knows that Jesus, the Lord, the one who is coming to judge the living and the dead, Paul knows that Jesus is going to give Paul an award. That award, verse 8 tells us, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness. There's this crown that says, yes, you are righteous. And I love the fact that the scoreboard that says Paul is righteous is that he kept the faith. Okay? Paul says, look, it's my faithfulness that shows that I've been saved by Jesus. He says, it's not my righteousness that's crowned. It's my faith in Jesus that is crowned as righteousness. You catch that? It's not what we do. It's not our faithfulness that gets us the crown. It's our faith in Jesus' righteousness that gets the crown. Okay, this is God's grace. We don't earn our salvation. We don't have to do anything in order to be saved but to hold on to Jesus and to follow Him. Paul says, this righteousness was a gift when I first believed and it is going to be no less than a gift on that last day when Jesus gifts it to me. And Paul, this language that he uses here, Paul is saying, look, I know, Timothy, that I am going to stand before Jesus. This same Jesus that I persecuted This same Jesus that if I was around at the time, I would have crucified myself. This Jesus who appeared to me. This Jesus who forgave my sins. This Jesus who invited me, even me, to follow Him. That Jesus, when I see Him as the King, reigning over heaven and earth, He is going to give me a crown. Jesus, the King, is going to give me a crown. 
Do you wonder why Paul was willing to go through what he went through? Do you wonder why Paul was willing to sit in a jail cell and say my death is a celebration? Do you wonder why Paul continued from that jail cell to do everything he possibly could to share the good news of Jesus? It's because he knows that when he appears before Jesus, Jesus is going to crown him. At that point, all the suffering will be worth it. At that point, Paul's saying, I will be crowned a victor. And I think even more important than the crown that he'll wear are the hands and the feet of the one who gives it to him. Right? We sang about this. Five bleeding wounds he bears received on Calvary. They poor effectual players, they strongly plead for me. Right? Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Forgive him, oh forgive, they cry. Don't let that ransom sinner die. And Jesus, with nail-scarred hands, rich wounds yet visible above, and beauty glorified, will be holding a crown. And again, I think even more than the crown is the look in his eye. Right? That Jesus would come with his arms, with his nail scarred hands, and come with a crown. Paul is saying, on that day, look, it's, it may not matter, but I want to have something to offer back to him. Not because I have to, not because I need to, but because, oh, I want to look him in the eye and say, Jesus, I served you to the end. Jesus, I realized on September 14, 2014 that I was living my life in all kinds of other directions, but then You reminded me that one day I'm going to stand face to face with You and nothing else will matter. Don't you want to say I fought the good fight? I finished the race? Don't you want to stand before Jesus and feel like you realized you were going to stand before Him long before you actually did? Don't you want to stand before Him and be able to say, I lived my life looking forward to this moment? I think... um, I think for some of us, this is incredibly inspiring. For some of us, you think about this and your heart is warmed. Um, For some of us, our hearts think about the stuff that we chase after and we think, man, why am I living for these things? Like, why am I wasting so much of my life and my time chasing after stuff that ultimately isn't going to matter? But I also know I also know that for some of us, listening to Paul talk at the end of his life, for some of us, this doesn't help, but this actually just makes us feel condemned and guilty. 
Right? There are things that you feel like you ought to be good at and you're not. And sometimes just hearing other people who are good at them doesn't help, right? Sometimes it just makes you feel guilty because, well, if this person can do this and do it well, well, then all the more shame that I feel because I have no excuse, right? At least if everybody else did it wrong, well, then at least I've got good company, right? Do you know what I'm saying? And so I want to interrupt this message and I want to talk about something that I think will help us to really connect with where Timothy is at this moment. And so the interruption here is why we don't like what Paul says. Okay, why we don't like what Paul says. Because the main application of this passage is to get, this is supposed to be a motivation for us and for Timothy to share our faith. Right? That's what Paul is driving at. Paul is saying, Timothy, look, I know you're afraid. I know this is hard. I know it's uncomfortable. But I am charging you to be faithful to this part of your calling. And for lots of us, we know that we should share our faith. Right? That's part of it. And some of us think, like, why is this so hard anyways? Like, why is this? And yet in the moment, it's impossible for us to open our mouths. It's impossible for us to admit that we're Christians. It's sometimes impossible for us with people that we know, who know us, that we care about, that care about us. It's impossible for us sometimes just to be honest about the fact that we go to church. Right? Even that. Sometimes it's hard for us to be honest about the fact that we read the Bible. Or, or to be honest, just to be honest about the fact that we're Christians. And we know we should, but just hearing that we should doesn't help. Right? Why? Why is that? I think it's because at the moment that we don't share, at the moment that we don't share, there is something that we are getting from not sharing that we want. Okay? This is why we don't share. It's because in the moment when we have a chance to share, an opportunity to share, um, not sharing gives us something that we want. And I think it's important for us to think this through, to, to understand this, because it can help us to evaluate, wait a second, do we really want to keep making that decision? Okay, what do I mean? Well, I think that not sharing our faith, sometimes we don't share our faith because we don't want to offend others and we want them to like us. And so not sharing our faith, being silent about our faith, gives us the feeling like we gives us the feeling that we're liked. Right? That we have a friendship and we're not going to harm that friendship by saying something that might be offensive. Does that ring true for you? I know it does for me. There are times when I think, well, it's just not the right time. Well, I just don't know if they're ready to hear this. And if I'm honest, at those moments, oftentimes what really is going on is I'm saying, I don't want to offend them because I really want them to like me. I think not sharing our faith also keeps us from being in situations where we might look stupid because we don't know how to answer someone's objection. Right? Well, if I say something about my Christianity, then they might say something to, to object. They might have a problem with the Bible. They might say something awful about something that they saw on the news or on, or on TV or whatever. And I don't want that feeling. Like, I don't want to look stupid. 
And so sometimes not sharing gives us like the reward of not having to feel stupid. Right? Does that resonate? Yeah. I think sometimes not sharing just keeps us comfortable because we don't have to push ourselves. And when we're in those moments where that becomes the driving force, that when we look at our hearts and ask ourselves, why is it that I'm not sharing my faith? Why is it that this good news of Jesus um, isn't coming out of me? I'm, not, I'm just not being honest about what I think. Um, it's helpful for us to realize what we're getting. Um, because um, if what we're getting is the approval of others, if what we're getting is the reward of not looking stupid, um, if we're getting the reward of comfort, I want to push you a little bit. And I want to ask you to think about um, when you stand before Jesus. Right? It's coming. For some of you, it's coming in 10 years or less. For some of you, it's coming in 20 years or less. For some of you, 50 years or less. But for all of us, that day is coming. And on that day, whose approval do you want today? Like, think about it. When you stare Jesus face to face, when you stand before Him, and He looks at you with love and joy, with forgiveness and understanding, um, do you want His approval? Or do you want the approval of the folks that you're afraid to be honest with? Do you want the reward of someone not thinking that you are stupid? Or do you want the reward of the crown of righteousness? I mean, Paul is, st- is, is standing in this place right now, and for him, death is imminent. The veil is growing very thin between life and death. I mean, it's almost like Paul can taste, he can taste that day. He can almost see Jesus on the other side of the veil. And Paul is trying to help Timothy realize, look, Timothy, it may be 50 years, but it's not that far away. And I think there's, there's something else here. There's, there's another reason that we don't like what Paul says. And I think this is a little bit deeper, but this is more pervasive. Um, At the core of Paul's charge to Timothy, which is the core of Jesus' charge to us, is the reality of authority. Okay? There's something going on here about authority. Okay? And what do I mean by that? Well, look, we all have authority. God has given us incredible authority. Right? He has made us in His image and He has given us dominion. He has given us the ability to make decisions and to have authority over a huge amount of things in our lives. Okay? Every single one of you make decisions every single day about all kinds of things. Okay? You all have authority over your own life. And you, can, you are free. This is part of God's being made in God's image. Is that you have the freedom of your will right? to choose to do just about whatever you want. 
Okay, you're not free from consequences, but you are free to choose. You have this amazing authority. Right? You choose how to spend your time. You choose the people that you want to hang out with. You choose your job sometimes. People choose religions and pathways of spirituality. And this authority that we have is a gift. It's a gift from God. God has created us in this way. He has made us, given us authority so that we would reign. So that we would use this authority to reign. And for some of us, we just reign over our lives. For others of us, we, our reign has actually grown. Maybe we reign over children, over our children. Maybe we reign at work over other people. Not ultimately, you understand what I'm saying. But we make decisions and we have authority that goes even beyond our own lives. And this is a gift. God has decided to share his reign, his authority with us. Now the sad news, the sad news is that we've taken that authority and we use that authority to serve ourselves. Okay, and this is sort of the tragedy of free will. Right? Free will is a glorious thing and it actually produces amazing things. It produces creativity, it produces art, it produces love. Right? The fact that you can choose to love someone else I think, is, a, is an expression of the authority that God has shared with you. But what's fallen, what's, what's, what's awful is that we take this authority and we use it to serve ourselves instead of serving God and others. And one of the hardest things that I think we wrestle with today is when someone challenges our authority. Okay? The thing that we struggle with the most, I think, in San Diego right now is when other people, when someone else tells us to do something that we don't want to do. Okay, that is a challenge to our authority. Right, when someone else tells us. And so we resent anyone who tells us to do something that we don't want to do. Anyone. I think including God. I think all of us are tempted to resent God, right? It's one thing if God tells us to do something and we already agree. Yes, God, I agree. I shouldn't murder anybody. Thank you for reminding me. Oh, it's so good when you remind me of what I already know to be true. God, thank you. We're on the same page. I'm excited, right? But when God tells us to do something that we don't want to do, when the Bible comes a little bit close to home and challenges us in the area of our relationships, and challenges us in the area of our sexuality, and challenges us in the area of how we use our money, right? And challenges us in the way that we behave in our family, right? That challenges us in how we deal with our friendships. At that point, we were, I mean, usually what we do is we kind of, we've been taught to do this. We've been taught to be tolerant, right? And what we do is we put our hand out like this, our hand and we just kind of say thanks but no thanks right we don't do this physically although sometimes we do but in our hearts we will put our hands out and just say nope that's not for me we do this to other people and and we actually have code language for this well i'm sure that's really good for you like i'm glad that works for you this is language that we use and what we're doing is we're saying yeah but not for me And it's one thing when someone else, when another human being tells us, they might not have the authority to tell us what to do. But we do this to God, don't we? 
don't we also do this to God when God tells us to do something and we don't like it? We don't want to do it or we don't want to have to do it. And friends, I think there are areas where we we struggle with this a lot, but in this area of sharing our faith, in this area of sharing our faith, this is something that, well, frankly, I've just seen this over and over and over again. People even say, well, yeah, I know I should, but, and then they just sort of go off on their own way. And they just do their own thing um, as though it doesn't matter if they obey or not. And I just, I want to talk about this. I want to mention this. I want to let you know that, I mean, this is one of the layers of the fall. This is one of the layers that if we don't talk about this, then we'll never really get at why we don't ever share our faith. We won't be able to get at it. But if we talk about it, at least then we have a chance. We can say, okay, wait a second. Am I willing to actually listen to God and follow him? Because that's the question that we want to ask. Am I really willing to listen to what God says and to follow it? Even when I don't like it. When you do that, when you step out and follow God when you don't want to, man, there, in some ways, there's nothing that can grow your faith more than that. When you say, God, I don't want to do this, and you're honest with them about it, it's okay to be honest. God, I don't want to do this. I don't like this. I think you're wrong. I think this is crazy. I think you're outdated. God, what is wrong with you? Why are you telling me to do Like, all of that stuff. Tell God, because the psalmist did. Right? Tell God all of that, and then say, but, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to step out, and I'm going I'm to try it. When you do that, like, that is an act of real faith. Do you understand? Like, that's faith. That's me saying, God... I'm not in this, but since you say this, I'm going to trust you and I'm going to do it. Watch Jesus show up. Watch Jesus show up in your life. I think this is exactly what Timothy was going through. I think Timothy was struggling. He knew that he was supposed to preach. He knew he was supposed to share his faith, but he was afraid. It's possible that Timothy wanted to, even. But he was nervous. Timothy seems to have been more concerned about the approval of the people around him than he was about sharing his faith. And Paul is saying, Timothy, Timothy, I know how you feel. And I have been down the road that I'm asking you to go down. And let me just tell you, the view from here is breathtaking. Paul's saying, Timothy, listen. I am moments away from Jesus. From face to face with Jesus. And let me just tell you that his reward is better than the reward of being well-liked. His approval is so much better and so much more important than the approval of anybody else in the church in Ephesus or anywhere else for that matter. Timothy, I'm going to stand face to face with Jesus and he's going to give me this crown with a smile on his face. And this isn't just true for me, but this is also true for you. That's our last point.
Paul says, Timothy, I'm a victor, and you can be too. You can be too. If you go to an awards ceremony, watching other people get honored is really cool, especially if it's someone that you love. Right, someone that you love, that you're a fan of, watching them get up there and get the award, the medal goes around their neck, the person you're rooting for, your team gets the championship. Right, That's pretty awesome. But Jesus doesn't just have one crown to hand out. Paul says, Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. Then he goes on, he says, and not only to me, but also to all who have loved his appearing. Jesus has crowns for everyone who loves his appearing. This is another way, a kind of a a really, um, I think it, it paints a pretty amazing picture for us of what it looks like to be a Christian. Right, someone that if you look at their life, you can see that they love the fact that Jesus is coming again. Right? And sometimes this is the exhausted, oh man, Jesus, when are you going to get here? I'm tired. I'm done. It's over. Come on. Right? Sometimes it looks like that. And sometimes it's, man, I just can't wait to show him what I have done with all he's given me. That's what it means to love his appearing. Both of these are expressions of faith. Right? He's not looking for perfect people. He's looking for faith-filled people. And friends, you're eligible for this. You're eligible to receive this crown of righteousness. And the question for us, the question for us, knowing that Jesus is going to come back to honor his people, the question is, what would you like to offer back to him? What would you like to be able to show him that you have done with all that he has given you? And again, it's not to earn the reward. But man, don't you want to live for Him? Right? He who died for you, He calls us to live for Him. He calls us to live for Him. And for us, typically, it's just about being honest with the people we know and love. It's just letting people into the spiritual side of our lives. It's letting people know, man, this is why I think Jesus is good news. Right? It's, I mean, we looked at these questions last week. Right? Why is Jesus good news to you? How has Jesus changed your life? And how does, faith, how does your faith help you? Right? If you can answer those three questions, then you just need to be honest with the people you know and love. And when objections come... Just be ready to say, yeah, you're right, the church isn't perfect. There's lots of reasons why you can point out errors in the church. You're right, but there's more to the story than that. There's more to the story. It comes down to this. And I hope, I hope for you and for all of us. I mean, what would it look like? What would it look like if on that day, when you were standing before Jesus, you were surrounded by people who were there too because you shared with them. Let's pray. 
Jesus, we long for that day. We long for that day, and in specific ways, we're not ready. Jesus, we thank you that our salvation is not based on what we do. We thank you that our salvation is a free gift of your grace. And yet, Jesus, we want to walk worthy of the calling. We want to walk worthy of these blessings, and we want to share this good news with the people that we know and love. So help us to step out in faith. Help us, Jesus, help us to be reminded that there is coming that day when we'll stand before you. And then in the meantime, you stand with us. Help us to open our mouths, to be honest about you with the people that we know and love, so that our families, our workplaces, and our neighborhoods would at least get a chance to hear and to see the good news coming from our lives. We pray this in your name. Amen.